Welcome to the Victory Through Training podcast presented by the Combined Arms Center Training at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Views expressed here are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, the U.S. Army, or the U.S. government. The history of training in the U.S. military is long and storied. Too long to really go into today. However, here's a super quick rundown of the recent history of the Combined Arms Center training, CAC-T. In 1973, the Training and Doctrine Command, TRADOC, was formed. In 1977, the Combined Arms Training Development Activity was created. In 1984, it was renamed the Combined Arms Center Training Activity. And in 1990, it was renamed the Combined Arms Center Training. From 1990 to 2003, the organization was eh, restructured a few times and changed location from Fort Leavenworth to Fort Monroe and then back again to Fort Leavenworth, where most of CACT now conducts business. As of December 2020, the organizations that make up CACT include the Army Training Support Center, ATSC, Center for Army Lessons Learned, CAL, Combat Training Center Directorate, CTCD, Mission Command Training Program, MCTP, National Simulation Center, NSC, and the Training Management Directorate, or TMD. But none of that really answers the question, what does CAC-T do? I'm Tisha Swart-Entwistle, the CAC-T Public Affairs Specialist and your host for today's podcast. For this episode, episode zero, we will be introducing you to some of what CAC-T does and how the organization affects change in the way soldiers are trained for battle, setting the stage for future podcasts. With me today is CAC-T Deputy Commander, Colonel Charles Lombardo. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Tisha, for having me. I'm really honored to be here. I began working for this organization in May of 2020, and Colonel Lombardo took responsibility of CAC-T in July of 2020. One of the things we immediately discussed was expanding the understanding of what CAC-T is. So that is what we are aiming to do with this podcast and some of the other products and campaigns we have recently launched. Can we start with the uh, CAC-T elevator pitch? What is CAC-T? Hey, that's a great question, and I think it's an, it's at a, a great time, as um, I feel we are in a, a, our second, I call it, training renaissance. You know, the first, I would say, is in the formation of our, our big five post-Vietnam War, of an all-volunteer force, um, and, and it brought us and delivered the leaders that we have today that, that made what we're doing today even possible. But just to start off, uh, the, com- the CAC-T you know, we start with an acronym, is the Combined Arms Center for Training. Um, it is, and, and it started in, you know, in earnest as the combat arms development of a Combined Arms Center, really around that 73 timeframe as a formation of TRADOC. Um, and then really during the combat training center developments, when we started to first see our first combat training center, which was a national training center in the mid 80s. Um, and so today we, you know, we help coordinate, synchronize, advocate much of the training in the United States Army. I would tell people, um, you know, when I first meet them, if you're, you know, from the company training meeting 
out to the um, the screen line and beyond where we're, we're uh, delivering joint fires. If the round is shot, the range that it's been trained on, uh, on the Army training networks that it's been uh, conducted on and managed, CAC-T is, has a piece of that in support of our soldiers and leaders and uh, civilians in today's Army. So how about some background on how training has evolved since 2005? Okay, um, you know, the past 15 years, I would say that uh, there's been some major training improvements. And if you recall, just kind of looking back in 2006, where were we? Um, we were in the middle of a surge in Iraq, um, you know, and we were going, you know, doubling the, the, the amount of forces that we were trying to deliver five, you know, additional brigade combat teams. We were five years into Afghanistan. Um, we just started uh, year one of our Army force generation, and we were a year into our modularity. So we transformed the design of the brigade combat teams. Um, and we're, as an Army, we were fighting an Army of Excellence now to this R4 Gen cycle. And it, and it was, um, you know, the, the, the methodology was interesting. You would build a unit, individually train it. Um, put it into a combat training center, uh, you know, MRX, if you will, and deliver it into a, a theater for a commander, a combatant commander, and then you would bring it back and break it all down um, to pay and move those personnel to the next formation. So we, we did that, and it, and it served us well, um, that model, for 11-plus years. And what we learned in, in sustaining that is that um, – at times we lost some of our core competencies in training because the glide path was so fast you were being fielded you were being you were conducting new equipment training new equipment fieldings every 3 years on a cycle our equipment wasn't really being maintained in a long term by our, our soldiers and leaders it was in a national reset done you know our civilian core and uh, industry came in really man it lifted us up on a mantle to enable that rapid turn every 3 years on that cycle um, and so we lost i think a lot of repetitions we lost ownership of a lot of the training um, that we would do it fundamentally changed the combat training center program. Uh, the, the execution of a mission, mission rehearsal exercise was it was not the Super Bowl event that the you know the um, as even General Milley would say it wasn't that uh, crucible training event uh, that you had to get through and, and work so hard to to be deployed and you know ready to ready to serve and uh, across the, the line of departure. It was another certification, but it was mission spoke uh, focused on that mission rehearsal and not necessarily focused on decisive action, large scale combat operations. Not to say that it was easier; it was just different. And I think in doing those, executing those uh, types of missions and types of training, we lost a little bit of leader development opportunities. So there's a general of leaders that didn't execute decisive action for 11 plus years. And so, you know, and then it served us well. But now as we, you know, kind of move into the development of decisive action, starting around the 2015-16 timeframe, and then the transition to the sustainable readiness model, it gets us kind of back to what we're redoing in FM70 and our doctrine, and that is trying to keep formations in that band of excellence, you know, and uh, and train as you fight, and, um, and 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 it's not departing completely from the coin mentality. We I think we are still trying to 
ensure that we retain those skill sets, but we have to be prepared to fight along the continuum of conflict. And, and coin is counterinsurgency. And counterinsurgency, yes. And so, and that's why, you know, and, and it's been it's been great what we've learned uh, in, in moving into decisive action and large-scale combat operations. Uh, we identified the, the, there's gaps, the 17, they call them LISCO gaps, and that we've, you know, it's been through that campaign of learning that we've identified those organizational training, doctrinal gaps. And here at CAC, um, General Rainey's, you know, working hard with our, our Center of Army of Lessons Learned and the rest of our teammates to highlight those and then and then reinsert fixes to those kind of training gaps, whether it's organization, uh, force design updates, and then, and then CAC-T's arm is to provide a training environment that we can rectify those uh, gaps and, and provide a trained and ready force uh, to be able to pr- be prepared. Um, and, you know, we got back to the, you know, the things, the other, I think, secondary effects that we've learned is from a maneuver brigade and below is, you know, the simple things of hardening our command post and being being ready to fight tonight. Um, you know, our, our command post used to be big amphitheater uh, during the coin era, command posts that were, it would take my brigade command uh, time. My first time I set my brigade command post up, it took me 21 hours. Um, and it was big and grand, and, and it had berms around it and glorious. Um, and then by the time we, we traveled to the National Train Center, we were at about the three-hour mark, you know, great gap that we reduced. By the time we ended our National Training Center rotation going into the Middle East, we were under two hours. And it's those, you know, the, it, it really highlighted and illustrated the criticality of those reps and sets, those repetitions and, and sets uh, to allow units to do it ad nauseum, to, to get it lighter, to get it faster, to get it more functional. Um, and, and I think that's been w- how our Army has changed um, in the move to decisive action. I think the other thing that we've learned um, in, this, in this kind of fight and in, and in the decisive action training environment, which is, uh, the, they call that the date uh, environment, and, and we've worked with the TRADOC G2 in establishing uh, the date environment. It's a common training environment that the Army can use, but it, it, it's a known point that we can train against, and it, it is harder than the fight. We want we want all of our our training to be harder than you know, so no soldier goes untrained into combat. That is our mandate. Um, but we started that really at the brigade level. The last two to three years, we have increased that exponentially at the division and core level. And as I'll talk a little bit later, some of our formations, the Mission Command Training Program, has played a large hand in that and in increasing that rigor and getting division and core CPs out on their tactical internet uh, infrastructure, maneuvering around and, and making, you know, fighting and making those decisions to, to enable their command and control. And that, that takes us to where we're at and where we're going. And, and I think the advent and implementation of multi-domain operations. We've experienced it a lot, of, a lot of it in the Middle East, in Europe. I mean, you know, in, in our during competition and conflict, as we've been in contact or in conflict since 2001. Um, and so, what we're doing in CACT is trying to replicate as close to possible those near peer threats and those intrusions into our training environment at our combat training center program, and and more importantly, at home station. So, you know, as 
we uh, kind of rebalance our training strategy to, to have a little more uh, emphasis back at home station, we can practice and get exposed to some of those capabilities against our force so we can uh, then account for it in our CTCs, but more importantly, be prepared as we deploy uh, in support of the uh, geographical combatant commander's uh, needs. And looking at the progress that we've made, I think, over the last five to six years, as a part of the Combined Arms uh, Center for Training, uh, you know, we're fortunate. We have six, I think, very talented uh, organizations of soldiers and civilians and family members, you know, and that and that range from the training management directorate. We call it TMD. The TMD has has been um, you know foundational in that they are creating and writing the new FM seven O and train train the way we're going to fight. Um, it is a. Uh, a lot of senior leaders will say it's a blast from the past because I, I purposely, myself and Joe Rainey purposely have tried to orient it back to a how-to manual to help um, in decisive action and large-scale combat operations to arm leaders with illustrations, examples, and linkages of leader development into training and kind of that link there and and the focus on small unit training um you know there's been a lot of great initiatives by our army senior leaders to to get commanders and leaders and first sergeants out of the training room and as data managers and then get them out in the field as 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 training managers you know and train and combat leaders and not really managers but leading um in our previous models, it was just hard enough to manage training. Do I have the bullets? Do I have the people in the location? Is the equipment delivered at the training area? Is the op four in place? And that the commander was consumed with just doing that. In seven zero, we're trying to take it to that next step and and to really arm commanders to be able to lead training. To, you know, we're not going to wait and go to the combat training center and do an MRX and they'll tell us how we're doing. You, we take advantage and, you know, this is in, put the training in, in your own fate and you, you can control that at your level. And that's what 7.0 is, is intended to do. And that's what the training management directorate does. They're delivering 7.0. But in addition to that, they manage uh, the unit training management, and it's a class. We do it as a, a, a mobile training team where they'll go to every division and corps and brigade, and they're teaching our junior leaders, hey, here is the connection of doctrine. Here is the digital training management system, and that, that DTMS is like the connective tissue of the Army's training system. So if you have... Um, the personnel program has IPSA and it's an integrated pay uh, and, and finance and services. It's a talent management, almost a new capability that the CSA has uh, been delivered. And we collaborate, you know, with Colonel Greg Johnson. But ATIS is to training as IPSA is to personnel and finance. And right. so the Army Training Information System is another thing that we're kind of working with TMD and some of our, uh, the training management directorate and some of our, our future stuff, but it's to really connect all that together to be able to populate training and record training, and I call it at the point of performance. So, and, and by doing that, Squad leaders populating their training. We put it back into the lower level leaders. 
we don't have that single point of failure or that bubble, which is the company commander, the first sergeant. So that un- to me, that unencumbers the commanders and the command teams itself because we're doing it at the squad level. You populate that training once and now it's populated and it's integrated in all your training records. And so we're spending more of our time on the battlefield or in the training in, in the training area outside of them being at behind a computer somewhere. So that's TMD. The second uh, directorate is the Army Training Support Center, and it's got it, it consists of a lot of big organizations that do great things for the Army. So, like I said in my opening kind of monologue, it, it handles the live training, so um, which has all the we call it force on force, all the miles, mm-hmm. all the uh, integrated laser engagement systems that you put on your tank, your person, your paladin. Uh, they manage that and move it around the army. They maintain it in the army and they procure and sustain it. You know, so for, and we deliver that to every commander based on when they need it. Um, it's the targetry that they shoot. Um, we call that force on target, but they're they're doing everything from modernizing ranges to sustaining ranges to building. Um, range utilization and call it a rift miss, but it's a management system that allows junior leaders to qu- conduct live fire safely. And and that's to me that's the same type of training that that rift miss that you would do in a combat environment. If you're dropping a bomb uh, on an enemy, you got to provide that surface danger safety assessment so you don't hurt civilians. That essentially is what we do in garrison, and that's what, and that's another component of that. They manage the ammo that we call it the strack, but it's the ammo allocation for the army, and they, so they, they manage all that with a lot of other support from CASCOM and our other agencies, and they do the analytical work. Uh, the the T said, all the two point two billion dollars in our peg in our in the training uh, program evaluation group, um, they help manage that for the Army G three five seven. But you know, so it's a big it's a big portfolio, but it's it's led by talented people. Um, our third organization is our Combat Training Center Directorate, and and I kind of couch them with our Tradoc tra- Proponency Office for Op four, and so they're modernizing our Combat Training Centers. So. All that you know, high high tech stuff that's happening to us on the battlefield. They're replicating that in in, in our home station and, and getting us prepared. They're also modernizing the combat training centers as well. Um, it, and you know, those are I think we have two crown jewels in our army: uh, our sergeant majors academy and our NCO um, development programs, and then our combat training centers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Combat Training Center Directorate is the advocacy for all three of our CTCs, plus uh, the support for the Mission Command Training Program. And then just the final other three, the National Sim Center, mm-hmm. those are literally the, the pipes that the simulation feeds on, and they support all, all the Army's training, uh, the mission training centers in the Army. Um, and they, are, they have great support from our global sim capability, who, who just recently went out to the National Training Center and was able to connect Fort Riley back to Fort Irwin and, and conduct a big division-sized training event. Um, and then the, the final two are our Mission Command Training Program. It's really our fourth CTC, but it's our high-level high, uh, high CTC that manages the, it's the Chief of Staff's Army Program um, through the Force Comm and Trade Out Commander 
that really support uh, the division and core commander's development. So they train those staffs. We do that. We do six plus uh, exercises a year. This year, we're getting ready to do the largest allied uh, warfighter. It's called Warfighter 21-4. And we'll have our French, our two oldest allies, our French and and a third UK. So four divisions fighting with a core and then really learning a lot about interoperability and to collect all these great lessons uh, and and then conduct the management of knowledge in the Army, we have the Center for Army Lessons Learned and that's CALL and they're a part of the CAC-T team now Mm -hmm. and they're really helping us kind of proliferate these best practices so that they get them out of the green book and they become lessons applied. So that's in a a nutshell kind of what what we have going on in our formations. Um, and I'll kind of just stand by for that. Yeah, I think um, that was a good rundown. I think a lot of people, before they uh, maybe come to CACTI or before they, um, mm-hmm. the biggest thing that they know about CACTI is MCTP. I mean, they yeah. know that's the face right. of CACTI and they think that that's all that we have. So yeah. explaining some of the other things that we have and, yeah. um, and, and that we added call in um, yeah. recently in December, so... I think that was good. It, it's tough. I, you know, I served as a uh, an OC for probably um, sixty plus rotations in my Army career at all three CTCs, and, and I was a commander of operations group at a combat training center. And I thought I knew what the Combined Arms Center for Training did. And I've served around them. I've been in TRADOC. Um, and so not until you get here, and then you see really how those six connect, and and not only inside a CACT, but how they fit. I'd say with my flank uh, wingmen inside of the Combined Arms Center. You, you know, so they, we all work hand-in-hand hand with General Maseraki and the Mission Command Center of Excellence. Because, mm-hmm. you know, from the MCOE, he takes all those best practices and pushes it out of the Army for what then Shane Morgan and MCTP does to, to train and evaluate and coach. Right. General Hill, bring it, uh, you know, at, at the Army University, mm-hmm. he's the, you know, the learning and education aspect of it. Um and so we're, we're actually, all three of us are writing a Army training leader development vision slash strategy uh, right now. And, and, and we're, while we're writing this, we're seeing the connectivity and integration of all three of our uh, of General Rainey's organizations come together and how it really works in support of uh, training and doctrine command, commanded by General Funk, and, and how TRADOC does you know, the victory does start here. It, it truly does mm-hmm. in every form, whether the training environment, the education. And, and so throughout the institutional army and the operational army, uh, you see where TRADOC does support uh, from a foundational perspective. All right. So I think that leads us into, you know, what we're doing today, some of the initiatives. Yeah. What What's what's. What's on your whiteboard? <laughs> well, my whiteboard is um, it's ever changing. It's full of a lot of great ideas, and uh, the the staff keeps erasing it because it gets too full, and there's just too much to do. No, I'll, I'll kidding aside. You know, it's and it, I would say what keeps me up at night or keeps me excited to come to work in the morning are the following things. You know, uh, we're in. I, I say we're in the red zone of delivering FM seven O to the Army. General Rainey and, and, and the team, we've uh, collaborated, I'd say, in a very radical manner and opened up and received a lot of feedback from the entire Army. We started low at the lowest levels, and we've gotten 
you know, sergeant feedback, troop company battery commander feedback. I've shared it with all the O6s and the one stars, the commandants, the division commanders, the assistant division commanders. General Rainey has just recently uh, shared it, and we've received an incredible amount of feedback from the core commanders, our four star, our comms, and, and in prior and previous trade out commanders and previous you know authors of it so the training community you know we're a soldier for life and we in our, our army's got incredible mentors that aren't wearing the uniform anymore all of the all of them collectively have provided some incredible feedback and so we're excited about 70 um, and, and we're trying to right size it to what doctrinally you know what you want to be able to do in the perfect conditions but also get provide um, you know like we talked about before the context for junior leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, for 11 years of not conducting decisive action in large-scale combat operations, you lose a lot of those repetitions that a generation of leaders would have had. And so, you know, there's a lot of training myths out there that our soldiers don't get it. And, you know, I, I, I just, after watching them from afar and admiring, we have an incredible talented amount of uh, leaders in our army today if you think about it they signed up after 9-11 and they've and then they've stayed in they've you know look at the right sleeve those men and women out there they have about six seven combat stripes which is six months you know they have five six years of deployed time at a minimum and so they've got the experience and now we got the best of that. Now they've done the last five years of the kind of decisive action training. We, we just need to provide a fundamental how-to manual to kind of codify, you know, how all of it connects together. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, really discipline training guidance in enough time to allow commanders to get that he or she to have that six-week lock-in. What does that mean? Why does that, you know, why is that important? Um you know, the big things that we do at CAC here in support of General Rainey is drive change and develop leaders. And, you know, and so it is, the, the document is replete with multiple illustrations of leader development opportunities while training your formation. You know, and I always say that training is the vehicle to develop leaders. You know, the combat training centers were built to develop leaders. It was a not a testing center, but a training center, an opportunity to try things out in a, in a, in a, in a permissive environment to work through that. And so that's something that we're really focused on. It's small unit training focused on the eight-step training model. And it's, you know, a deliberate kind of a paradigm to show leaders how they can plan, you know, the training, develop and certify leaders, you know, do the recon, execute the training, but then most importantly, have an after action review. And then what in, in alignment with the chief of staff's training strategy, retrain, you know, for a while we had such a thick um, gated training strategy. Um, our company commanders, our squadron and battalion commanders, they didn't have a time to go back and retrain their platoons and you know we all know lethal platoons and companies is what uh, the success to win in on the battlefield and so that I think that this is a doctrinal manual that kind of allows that in support of the army senior leaders guidance of where we need to go um, the second thing that we're working and it's been 13 years uh, in the making is the army training information system mm-hmm. and so I, I'm, I'm so excited about this and I, I alluded to it earlier with um what Colonel Greg Johnson is doing with IPSA, mm-hmm. the Integrated Personnel um, uh, Analysis. And, and what ATIS, though, is going to be able to do is truly pull our Army training management into the 21st century. You know, there's a 
chief of staff of the Army, General McConville, talks about, you know, we need a talent management um, system that is a 21st century talent management, not an industrial age. And we're doing that with our leader development. General Maz is doing that in Project Athena with uh, all the COEs. Well, we have to build the backbone, the connective, uh, the pipes to connect all that, uh, to have a repository of all the training that a soldier conducts. Often that that is left from basic training to his first unit or he or she's first unit of assignment. And what we aim to do is really, um, and then through what Sergeant Major Khan and, and prior to him, Sergeant Major Scullion um, helped develop was a digital job book and a small unit leader tool, which are, are they are not CAC enabled, they're password, username, password enabled for a leader on his own device to record training, to assess and look at his squad's training, and um and to populate it at one time and then it's forever in those systems. And mm-hmm. so the work we're doing in ATIS right now is we're building the backbone of it. It'll be out in the next two years for the Army um, by the 23. And we're, we're using a lot of soldier touch points to help inform because, um, you know, that we got to get it right. It's DTMS to some people is a four letter word that they right, they right. they have not agreed upon because at times it was not intuitive. So I think we're we're putting a lot of uh, updates to it right now, okay. before we even transition it. So our my big mantra to the team was, hey, we got to have confidence of the army, and then DTMS and ATN have to be a unit of choice or a a, a system of choice before it transitions. And so that's the other thing that we're really working, and I think we're making some good uh, good head way there and then I think the final uh, thing that you know it kind of couches a lot of our uh, our uh, capabilities together is um, the CTC modernization mm-hmm. um, but because I say that because that really informs all of home station training and so we are rapidly um, you know, taking with our TRADOC proponency office for OP4 and, and in concert with the a combat training center directorate, um, increasing the capabilities at the NTC, at the combat, at JRTC and the JMRC. You know, a couple examples are drone swarms. You know, imagine it's 6 a.m., you're driving your tank, you arrive up into the city, the city's filled with smoke, you started getting shot at, so you're getting some forms of contact, and then all of a sudden, 100 drones ascend upon you and your brigade combat team. What do you do next? It, it's those types of examples and those types of stimulus that we're modernizing. Um, and we're also modernizing the OP4. Our OP4 vehicles are so, they're very old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're on their like second, their original fleet since the, uh, the, the, really the startup of the combat training centers. I and mean, we had Sheridans for a while at the NTC, but then very rapidly we went to like a 113 uh, system and, and our, our, our soldiers are doing the Lord's work out there, Herculean effort to keep them in a safe manner. So we know we owe them professional vehicles that have good, uh, you know, good hybrid, we call them viz mods, but um, mm-hmm. visual kind of uh, adaptable a kit that we can portray multiple types of uh, adversaries on it. And, and so we're working through that. And, and that, that home station modernization is all a part of the work that we're doing, I'd say finally, as I close out, in, in support of the synthetic training environment. Major General Gervais, a previous CACT uh, commander, um, 
she started it uh, in the 17 time frame and is and then we're in support of her uh, you know uh, CFT and in, in the um, in, in, in really helping the synthetic training environment and, and so you know that that's kind of the uh, that that's been the, a bulwark of our, our effort we're, we're down in Orlando right now with them but that next generation miles and you think about what that has done for us um, over the last 40 years. It's served us well. It's going to continue to serve us, but there are evolutionary changes out there. So how we kind of tie in the live, virtual, and constructive, and gaming environment together, and, and a lot of that is done here at CAC-T with our wonderful, uh, I call there our FA-57 officers, our simulations officers. We've got, um, you know, we got the Ranger Regiment of simulations officers mm-hmm. that serve here at Fort Leavenworth inside of uh, Colonel John Barry's National Sim Center. And, and then they are doing you know, great work and leading and kind of pioneering that effort and, and, and getting those touch points throughout the year. But that's kind of what we do right now. It, it, uh, it's, it's a lot of uh, a lot of great effort. A lot of it you won't see until the next few years, but I see change occurring every day and it's, it's our, our soldiers that, and, and civilians and leaders that all are really operating with that sense of urgency uh, to be ready now and to help our army win and fight and win today now. But thank you for having me. I appreciate Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think all of that um, really sets the stage for future podcasts. I don't know what the uh, the next one's going to be on. Um, maybe uh, the Op Four, and we mm-hmm. can talk about the yeah. the CTC modernization because that seems to be. Um, some of the questions we're getting from a lot of people. So Yeah, I think it'd be good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me in our studio here at CACT headquarters today. And um, that does it for episode zero of the Victory Through Training podcast. I'm going to tell our uh, listeners to stay tuned for future podcasts and reach out to us if they have any questions. They can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at USACAC Training or uh, send us an email. Well, I appreciate it. We need to stay connected, and thank you for enabling this. And, 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 you know, victory is through training. So uh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to the Victory Through Training podcast produced by the Combined Arms Center Training at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Views expressed here are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or the U.S. government.